Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Uh, we're celebrating our 18th anniversary today. And you know, I, I'll be honest with you, at this anniversary, really the only thing I want to say to people, there's this inner urge as a parent of, of 18-year-olds already. I just want to go, we are 18. I don't know who I would say it to. I don't know what the context would be. But if you've ever had children that turned 18, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We want to tell somebody we're 18, right? And, and because of that, it, it, you know, as I've thought back through the life of the church in my own ministry, I, I always felt like by this time, even before this time, like I would feel like I knew what I was doing. Like I'm, we're 18, right? We, we know. I don't yet know exactly what I'm doing. And I don't have it figured out. I don't think we do as a church either. But by God's grace, we're going to continue to follow him. We're going to continue to pursue uh, his mission that he has given to us and the grace of God, which continues to fill us. Well, I want to talk a little bit this morning about the heart of our church and the vision of our church, not the whole, but just a portion of it, uh, because I never want us as a church to forget where we've come from. I never want us to forget, first and foremost, uh, the foundation of our faith, the very cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ himself, and the gospel. I never want us to forget who this is all about, he and the one for whom we live our lives because he is the one who has died for us, as we see in 2 Corinthians. But I also never want to forget that where we are today is a foundation. Every new day becomes a foundation of God's faithfulness for us to look forward to what he's calling us to until he returns to call us home. And so as you've heard me say many times, of all that we have seen God do through the years as a church and of all that we've seen him call us to and we've seen his faithfulness fulfilled in, I challenge us today, how could we stand here and not trust him for whatever he calls us to in the days and the years to come? And so keep that in mind this morning. What I want you to walk away with today is very familiar to most of you. It's simply this, the LifePoint Church exists to glorify God and to make Jesus known by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. As I have said many times and will continue to say, never question this. We have an agenda. We have an agenda. We always have had an agenda and we always will have an agenda because of what Christ has called us to. And today I want to look at that agenda by pursuing our mission by one priority and a first importance. One priority and a first importance. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. I'm going to re read beginning in verse 34 through verse 40 before we continue. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. These verses capture for us one of the most defining moments in all of the New Testament and the scriptures. You see, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. They were the high and mighty. They were in control. They were very politically influential with the Roman government. But more than that, they were religiously the final uh, straw for the Jewish people. And as the first verse, verse 34 says here, Jesus had just revealed to the Sadducees, the other ruling class, if you would, something that they didn't know, something that they didn't believe. And of course, the Pharisees saw this as a prime opportunity to put forth their own knowledge, their own expertise. Obviously, he dominated the Sadducees. Now, let's take our rightful place and let's be shown to be people who are above them and better than them. It's interesting that when the Sadducees got shown up, it was for something they would not believe. When the Pharisees get shown up, it's for something they claim to have perfected. Don't miss this. It's the heart of what Jesus is doing here. They try to trap him with a question. Because we can say a lot more sometimes by asking something, right? And Jesus responds with one of the simplest but one of the most profound answers that he could ever communicate. And it's become known to us as the great commandment. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. As a matter of fact, it didn't just become that to us. It was established in Jewish life as the great commandment in the great Shema Israel, the the center of Hebrew life from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So in the books that the Pharisees claimed to have perfected, that they would have had uh, memorized, it stands right there at the center of Jewish life. That's why this is so illuminating in what Jesus is doing because he turns back to them and gives them an answer not only that they already know but they should have known would be the answer that he would give and yet what was right here they didn't get it they didn't get it his words are often overlooked by us as well just like with the pharisees because of familiarity oh yeah we've heard that we know this one what's next and and he tells us this that Not only in the first century and everyone that came before, but even in the 21st century, every follower of Jesus Christ lives with one priority. One priority. You know, a number of years ago, and I've shared this before, I read a book, uh, I believe the title was called Essentialism, but he gives a brief history of this word priority. And he said there was never a plural form of the word priority until about 500 years ago. Isn't that interesting? I find it interesting. And the, the plurality of that word has been one of the most damaging effects upon the mentalities of people. We think that we can put everything forward as a priority in life and not somehow have one priority that rules them all. But what Jesus is telling us is that there's really only one priority for life. And that's our love for God. 
That's got to be our one priority, that we love God with our whole being. And maybe you heard it when I paused at the end of verse 38, but there was a pause, not just dramatic, but even more significant pause in their hearing in that day as well. Because when Jesus said, and the second is like it, that was revolutionary, friends. There was never someone who would have dared to say what Jesus says here, and surely not the Pharisees. So the very answer that they had already known and committed to memory, but were not purporting in this instant, not remembering for their own cause, now they're going to become the defenders of it as if they knew it all along. And Jesus said, and the second is like it. You see, he doesn't create a new command here. He just quotes yet again the law, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that was the very thing the Pharisees gave no inkling of time to be bothered by. As a matter of fact, they had formed their religious practices over dismissing their neighbor. They had even created prayers to thank God. God, thank, like, thank you that I'm not like this person. Dirty, rotten sinners. Thank you that I'm not like that person or I'm not as bad as this person or that person. You see, even their prayers were crafted around a lack, an absence of love for neighbor. And Jesus is doing something here that you and I need to understand remains as our first priority. Not just to love God with our whole being, our heart, our mind, and our soul, but but. Tying together, Jesus says, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God is not just a nebulous theoretical concept that we intellectually attain to. It is the most real, tangible, physical reality in this world in the way we love other people. That's where the gospel really becomes challenging. Because we, we, it is impossible for us to love other people the way God has loved us. Even if we pay the ultimate sacrifice of giving of our life, our life is not the perfect spotless lamb that Jesus was to provide for us what he provided for us. But you see what Jesus is telling us, that we are people who live as we have been loved. And these two things cannot be separated. He gives a new command, not because it's new, it's just been forgotten. You ever forget anything? And Jesus' command establishes for us one priority for every follower of Jesus and for this church. Our love for God is only known in the way we love other people because that's the way it's shown. You see, love for God is only known by one who trusts in God's love through Jesus Christ. There are not many ways to God. There are many ways that God shows his love for us. There is only one way for us to receive that love, and that's through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, by which God paid the price, the debt, for our sin. That's what the scripture teaches. And this is good news, friends, because it tells us that God showed his love for us, Romans chapter 8, 
by dying for us while we, while we were still sinners. God did not wait for us to show the initiative. He sent Jesus while we were still sinners to die for us. And through Jesus, his love is given to us so his righteousness can be imputed upon us. Now that's a, that's a big theological word, but here's simply what it means, that what was not ours now becomes ours because of what he has done for us. And what is his is now gladly given to us in God's eyes. We are made righteous by the death of Jesus Christ in God's eyes. So when we stand before God, he sees us as righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that's the most difficult truth for any pastor to convince people that it's true. Even those who've trusted in Christ and believe it, we still struggle to doubt it. We still struggle to doubt it. God says it is true about us every time he uses the word sanctify, sanctified, sanctifying in the scriptures. Because that's where he says you are holy before me because of Jesus Christ. You see, God shows his love for us by Jesus' death on the cross that by faith we might receive his forgiveness and live in his love every way. The great commandment that we've just read in Matthew 22 tells us two things about the Christian life. And these two things are the first two aspects of a Christ follower's identity. First of all, when by faith we trust in Jesus' death on the cross, we receive God's forgiveness to live in his love as a worshiper as a worshiper of God. You see, without Jesus Christ, no person can truly worship God. When Jesus meets the woman at the well in John chapter four, he tells her that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. That is not spirit little s, it is capital spirit, Holy Spirit, that comes to abide within us and illumine the truth of God's word within us. This is good news, friends. We are made as worshipers who are growing in all-consuming love by engaging our heart, the center of our being, to be fully consumed by God through his love for us in Jesus Christ in this life. You see, we all worship something, little w. We're all trying to fill our life to bring meaning, satisfaction, purpose, and all of those things, even pleasure, we're all worshiping something, but until we put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness for our sins, we're not worshiping the one true God. In that moment, when the glory of God pierces the heart of the individual who puts their faith in Jesus, there is a greater love, there is a greater glory that purges the heart of all impurities and brings the truth of God to bear through Jesus Christ in that life. We are made alive as a new creation, the scripture tells us. We're given a new heart, Ezekiel 36 tells us. And in that new heart, the spirit of God is put within us. It becomes not a heart of stone, which is crushed, but a heart of flesh that we might relate to God. So now we walk with God. We live in relationship with God. And that's when God becomes our one priority who recalibrates our whole life for his glory because he and he alone is the source of all of life. And so a worshiper grows in all-consuming love in relationship with God to glorify him with our whole life. And because of what Jesus does for us, as we've just seen in his words we live in God's love in order to share that love with the whole world. 
That's who we are now. It's not just what we do. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the one that models our life in Christ and what it looks like. And so worshipers live in God's love to share that love with the whole world as servants. Servants, people who engage the hands to show the love in tangible, practical, real-life ways, the love of God that has come to them. And you see, what it is that is most important to you will be what it is that gets shared most by you. Listen to the conversations that you initiate, to where you direct conversations to go. Whatever it is that you want to talk about most, that you want to talk about most passionately, and that you want to talk about most ardently, those are the things that you've set your heart on that are filling your heart with what you consider love. And what God is saying, what God is saying is that he would so fill our lives that we would love other people the way he has loved us. We would learn to live as we've been loved And that's what we do. Servants live to show God's love by the expression of our whole life in serving others because we have been served by Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are saying, you know, this sounds really familiar. I've heard this somewhere before. Well, you should have. If you've been in our, in our covenant membership seminar, the navigation series, this is session two. This is what we teach. Why? Because it's central to our vision of who we believe God to have redeemed us to be as followers of Jesus Christ. That determines how it is we live in following him. And what he has called each one of us to is uh, uh, what he is calling us all to as followers of Jesus Christ. Some of you who've been in the church for a while are still thinking, you know, I've heard this so many times I could preach it. And to that I say capital Y-E-S, absolutely, exclamation point, yes. That's the agenda, friends. That's the agenda. And we don't apologize for that. We think every Christ follower ought to be able to preach the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants for you. You see, the one priority of our church is to lead people to live as worshipers who calibrate their whole life by the love of God in Jesus Christ so that they navigate all of life to share his love with all people as servants. Like this ought to determine every day when we wake up and we become cognizant of the day and we're a little angry at the alarm clock. There's no doubt about that, you know. But when our feet hit the floor, we're orienting our life to the one whom we are filled with so that when we navigate our life throughout the day, we can make his name known. It's what it means to live as a worshiper and a servant. Our one priority, though, does not stand alone. Jesus has calibrated our life so that he can navigate our life in the sending, in the sending of the great commission. Look with me at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Now listen to these verses. We usually start at verse 18. I'm backing up two verses for a reason here. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
These are the last words that Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven. And these words have become known as the Great Commission. Jesus commissioning his followers. I mean, this is God's plan for the gospel on earth, friends. For the salvation of the nations, his plan is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the faithful testimony of his people that are walking on the face of the earth today. You go, oh my goodness, God. Don't you have a better plan? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. It's not about our perfection. It's not about our effectiveness. It's only about our full surrenderedness. Because it is the Spirit of God that is moving through the people of God to make the truth of God by the gospel of Jesus Christ known to every nation, to every tribe, and to every tongue, beginning with your neighbor across the street to the nations on the other side of the globe. And just like the great commandment, though, familiarity with this passage threatens to cause us to miss his words. There are two very important things we must not miss here, and I want you to see these. First of all, I want to ask you, who is Jesus with? Go back to verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is the context, the immediate context. Jesus is with his 11 disciples. He's just been betrayed by number 12, and that number 12 has not yet been replaced. There are 11 disciples with him who are standing on this mountain. These are the closest people in Jesus's life. They're probably all a little insecure about being with him because they betray or didn't they basically, I don't know if you call it betrayal, you could call it that. Uh, it wasn't full betrayal like Judas, but like they all left him alone. Like when he went to the cross, he went alone because they didn't follow all the way. So you're like, you think he still wants us around kind of thing? You know, I mean, those are rolling through the subconscious reality of their mind. And he brings them in and he says to his closest disciples, now reread verse 17, understanding these are the 11 closest people that walked with Jesus for three and a half years on the earth. Some of them were related to him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Maybe one of the most beautiful phrases in the, in the whole scripture, but some doubted. And why is it beautiful? Because your doubts don't get you kicked out of the presence of God. You see that? When Jesus came up on the mount where they were, there's no question. They've seen his glorified state. They're on their knees. And even as they bow, some doubt it. I'm not going to call any names like Thomas, who had already stuck his finger in Jesus' hand and felt where the nail had already pierced it. And yet the doubts persisted. Friends, here's the key. Here's the key. Following Jesus is a process of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and what is this renewal? It is the undoing of the doubts of your life with the truth of God's word. That's what renewal is all about. You see, some of your minds have been stained from sin. And because you are not, uh, or were not in Christ, but you were uh, condemned by sin, your mind is stained by that. 
And even when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we trust him, there are still thoughts that you have about God, about yourself, about other people, about the world that are more imprinted with sinfulness than with godliness. There are patterns of thinking about yourself that are still more imprinted with sin stain than God's righteousness. There there are ways that you have come to think about the world and other people because of the experiences that you've had that were so strong and so powerful for you but they are still stained by sin and every time you're reminded of those things you you are tempted to doubt even in hands that you've touched that have proven otherwise that's what's going on on this mountainside, friends, is that, that doubts are being renewed by the gospel. Doubts of truth and glory uh, formed by an incorrect knowledge of God and a sin-stained mind. They are corrected by the truth of God's word when by faith we embrace that truth the way our heart is being filled with his love. And the correction or the renewal is transforming us as we walk by faith in the light of his truth. When you doubt, does God really love me as much as he said? We can say, you know what? I'm tired of struggling with this doubt. He said it. I need to settle it. Is my life what, the way that it is lived now? Maybe, maybe you're thinking about this marriage or maybe you've had a hard week with the kids. You know, I mean, whatever it may be, you go, is this the best? Maybe there's something better. No, friends, don't let the stain of sin settle into your heart, but Put it in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let him wash that stain of sin away. Bring the hope of truth to bear upon your life. You see, what we realize is Jesus was with his disciples. Now, disciples is not a word that was unique only to Christianity. It was, it was used of, of many philosophers and leaders of that day, leading thinkers. They would all have disciples, even as we saw with John the Baptist. But the distinctiveness of disciple in Christianity holds a very distinct aspect. And, and, and let me just tell you that that's because not of the label they wore, but of the kind of disciple that was formed. You see, the word disciple is formed by two words coming together and in their becoming one, something new is formed. It's, it's formed by the words learner, so the intellectual aspect, and follower, the, the acting out. And you hear us talk about uh, Christianity is not just a religion of performing for God. Christianity is not about, man, if I do enough, if I achieve, if I earn, if I uh, ascend intellectually, uh, if I perform in some way for God, he will love me. That's not true. God already loves you. And Christianity is not just about an education. It's not just about an intellect that we ascend to. And once we know the right things to know, that's all there is to it. No, disciple tells us that we are learning the truth of God and applying it to sin stain upon our own life, specifically in our mind. But we are trusting God to follow the truth instead of continuing to walk in the dark ways of sin stain. 
That's what disciple means for us, friends. It is an engaging of the mind as the control center of life whereby we identify those thoughts that are perverted and skewed by sin and we subject them to the truths of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we submit them to him and whether we understand, whether we agree, whether we even like it, we say, God, by faith, I'm gonna trust that you will come through because you are faithful and true. That's the thinking process of a Christian disciple. And as a disciple, we are made into the likeness of the one that we follow, Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so by the truth of the gospel, we are made his disciple when we identify our lives with him. You say, how do we do that? Well, look at the commission. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, so I just have to be water baptized? Well, that's an outward expression, but really Romans chapter six, verses three through five define the inner spiritual reality when it says that we are baptized into his death death raised to walk in his new life that's the spiritual reality that water baptism represents that's the identification with God the word baptism really means not just get dunked in water but it means that we are identifying with Jesus when he died this man died to himself I've been crucified with Christ I no longer live but the life I live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me I am I am not my own, and neither are you if you're a Christian. Neither are you if you're a Christian. Baptizing them in the name of our triune God, teaching them to observe all these things that I have said to you. Walk by faith. You see, friends, when we live out this command, we not only live as disciples, but we live as people whose lives have been radically recalibrated, renavigated, reoriented to the one who is our life, Jesus Christ. And now as 2 Corinthians 5 says, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for all. That's what we call missioners. We serve the mission of God's kingdom to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go to every person in the world in so much as God gives us the opportunity to take it. Friend and foe alike. The first importance of LifePoint Church is to lead people to live as disciples whose lives are being transformed through the renewed mind by God's truth and who live to share the truth of that gospel with all people as a missioner. Worshiper, servant, disciple, missioner. Again, nothing new to anyone that's been around this church for any length of time. But I'm telling you, friends, we have an agenda. This is our agenda. We exist to glorify God and to make Jesus known by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together.